Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where we sit down with content matter experts and discuss what is currently top of mind in the world of pharmacy. My name is Dr. Christine Cooper, and I am a director of scientific projects and special projects at ASHP, and I will be moderating today's discussion. We will be chatting with Dr. Sanaz Fahadian, who is a clinical psychiatric pharmacist at the VA San Diego Healthcare System, Dr. Robin Heber, who is a clinical pharmacy specialist for mental health and a pharmacist lead at the Vision 23 Clinical Resource Hub, and Dr. Richard Sylvia, who is a professor of pharmacy practice at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences University. Our discussion will look at mental health support for patients and methods pharmacists can use for implementing a comprehensive medical health program at their institution that includes suicide prevention strategies. Thank you for joining us today. Rick, why is it important to have training in mental health support to be able to offer these services for patients? Thank you, Christine. I think it's important because no matter what area of pharmacy you work in, Uh, I'm a mental health specialist, pharmacist specialist, but regardless, no matter where you work, you will encounter individuals living with mental illness. So whether it's community pharmacy, clinical, hospital pharmacy, these are folks that you will encounter, and they may have a, a special set of needs that you will need to assist them with. So this training could be invaluable as you work with those persons, or even maybe individuals in your own personal life that you encounter. And having this training will help you to provide services for them as well, or at least to intervene in some capacity to assist them. Sanaz, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? That actually encompasses a lot of uh, how I think about this answer as well. There's one in five American adults that are affected uh, with mental health diagnoses. And it really is something that even though you don't physically see it, it is all around us. And you don't really have to be a mental health specialist to be able to provide care because I think just being aware of ways to provide support can be considerably beneficial for patients. And it really just helps increase access to care for patients who may otherwise avoid treatments because there is a lot of stigma surrounding mental health. What do you think, Robin? Thanks, Sanaz. I agree with both Rick and Sanaz. I think those are great points. And I would just add that we really want to make those in primary care feel comfortable uh, providing mental health care because it it is so prevalent these days. Oftentimes, if, you know, when you're referring to psychiatry directly, there could be weight. And sometimes we don't we don't have time to wait, you know, to treat some of these mental illnesses. And so I think it's great to sort of enable people to feel comfortable treating these illness, uh, even in other sectors of of healthcare. Well, thank you all for your insights. Sanaz, how did you approach establishing a comprehensive patient mental health support program? Thanks, Christine. This This is something that actually working for the VA is really built into the Veterans Affairs system. 
given the patient population that we have. There are several strategies that we have that help with this. We have clinical reminders for depression screenings that pop up, and those can be done in our mental health clinics, but those also can be done in our primary care clinics. So uh, in that way, these patients can get care outside of just the specific mental health arena. And we've done things in recent years, too, where we've expanded training for all providers, especially in the areas of suicide prevention. And we also have uh, what we call primary care and mental health integration, which really provides warm handoffs when necessary. So a patient could be seen uh, by their primary care provider, but maybe something comes up or they disclose that they're having some kind of mental health symptoms. And if the primary care provider doesn't know quite what to do with that, they can do a warm handoff with a psychiatrist working in that clinic to assess the patient for further symptoms, or also in the case where the patient may present a bit more acutely with some suicidal thoughts. This is another place where interventions can be made in a more timely manner rather than having the patient then need to make an appointment through mental health. And I think that's something that I know we have at RVA. I'm not sure. Uh, Robin, how do you guys handle it at yours? Thanks, Anas. Uh, those are excellent points. And it's handled very similarly at the facilities I work at and have worked at. I think that a big piece of it is, you know, gathering the interested parties into meetings to establish, you know, what are our goals? What do we want to see happen? And, you know, come with a plan. So everybody feels like they're, they're part of it and that we can all take care of these patients together. Sometimes it's, it might have to start simply like, how about we just start with those, uh, like the clinical reminders that Sanaz was talking about is uh, let's, let's start with, you know, making everybody comfortable asking some of those depression screening scales and start with that and then maybe build from there and kind of come up with a plan on how, how to refer when you need to, or how, what should we, what should we keep in primary care? What should we refer out? And, you know, coming up with a plan like that, I think is, is, is great to start with. Uh, what do you think, Rick? So my practice is a little different. I, I'm not in a VA. Um, I am in a federally qualified uh, community health center. So my practice, I'm uh, integrated as a behavioral health provider within our primary care clinics of the overall health center. So we have a behavioral health clinic, but I try to serve as a crossover. So much like Sanaz was mentioning a moment ago, you know, my role is to try to help uh, work with patients as they're identified in primary care, because we know that particularly depression and anxiety is most often first identified within primary care. So the, the notion is, if that's where the business is at, we need to go where the business is, not wait for the business to come to us. So if we know that most of these folks are being identified through primary care providers, by having that direct connection in primary care, it facilitates uh, you know, getting the patient connected with a behavioral health provider, which can often be a barrier unto itself. So for me, the approach that, and, and I've done this, this is my second clinic that I've been involved with, the overall goal was again to have behavioral health in primary care. So as patients are identified as having behavioral health needs, there's someone there. Now, even though I'm a specialist, that doesn't mean that uh, a general ambulatory care or primary care pharmacist couldn't also serve as a conduit in some manner. So it doesn't mean you have to be a psych specialist. The notion is that you have some 
training like mental health support that you can, again, be that conduit between primary care and the mental health services that the patient might need. So I'm going to turn it back to Christine so we can move on to our next question. Well, thank you, Rick. And Robin, let's start with you on this one. And all of you have briefly touched on this already, but if you could expand a little bit more on how you encourage collaboration between all of the healthcare team members involved in mental health support. That is a great question. Thank you, Christine. I think that uh, in these days of COVID and more people maybe teleworking or not wanting to be in the same room uh, with, you know, of course, all the precautions that exist, I think the biggest piece is still having a way to engage with everybody on a regular basis, monthly meetings, Zoom calls are appropriate. We also have uh, teams where we can meet via video. And an important piece is, you know, to try and turn that video on so we still see each other and we can still connect and collaborate and talk about what's going right, talk about what's going wrong and make those changes as we need to. But I think, you know, like encouraging continuing continual sort of self-reflection and understanding what's going right and wrong and making you know adapting as we see fit Uh, what do you think Rick thank you Robin so again being in you know kind of based out of primary care you know that collaboration is a little bit almost built in by nature so as patients get referred to me and I meet with them do evaluations provide medications etc I also make sure I bring any concerns or issues back to whoever is most appropriate to deal with them. So patient comes to me, um, I had a patient earlier today complaining of headaches and their migraine prophylaxis medication had run out. Now, by my scope of practice, I can't prescribe that to them, but I did act on their behalf and sent a quick message to their primary care provider saying, hey, they ran out of this. They've noticed that you know there's been a change in their headache frequency can you get them refilled? So this way I try to coordinate, even though it's not my area, I can help again, serve as that conduit. And I know I keep using that word, but that's really part of what our role is as a pharmacist is getting the the patient, those connections that they might need. If I have a patient that is not working with a mental health therapist, and I think that's a benefit to them, I will connect them with one of our therapists uh, within the health center because I know that that's something that might be a benefit to them. So again, even if you're not a psych specialist, as a pharmacist with our knowledge of medications and illnesses, you can still serve as that conduit, whether it's for physical health concerns or mental health concerns. So I, I would just say, you know, playing that role that we've almost been trained to do uh, as pharmacists, and that is be that collaborator, that, that team member, and making those connections between the patient, their different providers, and getting the information to where it needs to go to, again, to benefit the patient ultimately. So Nahaz, what do you think about that? I, I completely agree with you. You're like taking the words out of my mouth, basically. I, I, as a provider, I really believe in treating the whole patient. That's always been my number one priority. And while, yes, I'm limited in some of the things that I can do because of my scope of practice, I try to take a look at it as it may not just be the mental health issues that are part of the picture. So while something like pain treatment may be outside of my specialized area, since it can have a large impact on a patient's mood, I collaborate with other healthcare providers as needed. 
Sometimes it can be something like, you know, getting them set up with services like a consult or a referral in for chiropractic care, or it could be something as simple as just looking up the status of the consult and, and seeing where it's at and has it been moved along yet. What you said about coordinating care, I think that's huge. And um, really in cases where something seems to be off and, and there's concern for patient's care, I'll utilize all my resources to help set up the veteran for success in my case. And, you know, this really does include speaking with anyone else that has hands on the, the patient. It could be the primary care provider. It could be the collaborative psychiatrist I work with, any of the therapists that are involved in the patient's care. And a lot of times our addiction therapists too, because they help fit these pieces of the puzzle together. And in one way we can kind of be like a one-stop shop, but really just coordinate the care as best as we can so that all the needs are met. Well, thank you all. Rick, we're going to start with you for this upcoming question. And for it, what has been the most challenging about developing or maintaining a successful patient mental health support program? Thank you, Christine. Uh, there are a few options that come to mind. Uh, I, I'd say probably one of the greatest is provider and patient acceptance, which has certainly gotten better. And it's um, it's probably like any new service that we try to provide as a pharmacist. It's getting the providers that we work with to understand who we are, what we do, what our role is, and what the services are that we can provide, and then getting patients to also buy in. You know, a, a lot of patients come to me for an initial appointment with me, and they ask me, are you my new psychiatrist? No, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a pharmacist okay, so aren't you the one who's supposed to give me my meds, not prescribe me my meds? So it does take a bit of, of education, both for the patient and prior to that, the, the provider. But again, this isn't something new in pharmacy. Uh, we, we've had to prove ourselves time and time again to our healthcare colleagues. So it's, it's something I've gotten used to over the years. But I would just say, you know, again, maintaining that connection with the, the other providers, building those connections with them and making sure that they understand that you're still here, you're still around, you're still providing services to patients and helping them to understand that no matter, again, what our background is, that we can assist our patients who have mental health concerns that are you know, living with mental illness and getting them what they need. So I think once you can break through that barrier of, you know, making the connection with the providers and the patients, showing them who you are, what you can do within whatever your, your scope of practice, your comfort level, et cetera, of course. But once they know who you are and what you can do, I think there's definitely something to be had there for both the provider's benefit as another resource and the patients as someone who can assist them in getting uh, adequate care. Robin, uh, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Thanks, Rick. I do. Uh, those were excellent points. I think that uh, there can be a lot of challenging challenges when it comes to developing and maintaining like a robust patient mental health support program. Uh, and I can speak from an area where we are very rural and uh, I practice out of uh, a couple of locations, Fargo, as well as uh, Central Iowa. And Unfortunately, sometimes we lose providers, not just 
like specific to mental health, but primary care or even other specialties. Uh, and so I think one of the things that has been most challenging lately is just that, like there seems to be kind of an exodus at times or, you know, just that sort of like gaps that we're trying to fill. And so I do think that like that brings home the point that like if we can all practice this sort of whole health and have an understanding of mental illness, then that gap shrinks a little, right? Because while you may lose your mental health provider, your primary care can pick that up because they've had this, you know, this, they have some mental health training and then they understand how to support it. So I think that it kind of dovetails nicely, like these challenges we can tackle if we all work together and all come to an understanding of, you know, how to treat some of these mental illnesses. Um, but then, but then of course, know when it's time to refer out. So I think that's a big challenge. And then uh, just like Rick said, uh, making sure that some other providers understand what we as a clinical pharmacist are able to do and capable of, and, you know, earn sometimes earning that trust, keeping that trust, keeping some educational programs going so that they can put a, put a face to your name and, and know that, that you're, you're on top of your knowledge and, you know, are sharing that with others. So I would say those are some of those bigger challenges. Well, thank you both. So now let's start with you on this next question. What's a commonly held belief about patient mental health support that you disagree with? I feel like a lot of people think that there isn't much of a role that pharmacists can play in this area. And in fact, we can do so much. We can help fight the fight of reducing stigma. We can provide uh, screenings like depression screenings or even just doing brief suicide screenings. We can help uh, primary care providers, for example, guide treatment choices, identify drug interactions. We can empower patients uh, by providing education on the expected timeline of medication effectiveness. It's really very different with some of the psych medications in terms of they don't work instantly a lot of the times. And so if a patient takes it for a week or two and they don't feel different, well, your antidepressant doesn't work that quickly. And so really helping them know and understand what the expectations are, letting them know what possible side effects are. And if it happens, how are ways that they can potentially manage them and even providing medication monitoring on some of these agents that, you know, can have side effects depending on the levels of them in your serum. So things like lithium and that kind of stuff. I think there's so many areas that we can be an asset both to other providers that see patients that may have mental health diagnoses, as well as to the patients themselves. And it doesn't require you to be a specialist in mental health to be able to do some of these things. Rick? Thank you, Sanaz. I would say one of the things that I would throw out there is that you don't have to be a psych specialist to provide mental health support to patients. That uh, anyone, uh, and, and I would say any healthcare professional, including pharmacists, can have some kind of a role in affecting our patients' lives who are, you know, for the folks who are living with mental illness. You don't need to have specialized training. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt to, have, to be a psych specialist. But just being aware of what the concerns are that our patients are facing and taking it upon ourselves as pharmacists, as healthcare professionals to be involved and to be, 
you know, uh, part of the solution for our patients, you know, getting them, again, those connections that they might need, assisting them in patient education, uh, as Sanaz uh, just mentioned, uh, that can be a very significant part for a lot of our patients. You know, they may not understand why they're taking a particular medication. They may not understand what to expect out of a particular medication. I'm amazed at how many patients you know, get referred to me and they've already been on an antidepressant and they keep stopping their antidepressant after a week or two. And they say, well, it's not working. So why take it? No one ever explained to them that an antidepressant takes longer than a week or two to really show any benefit. And just that one piece of information already changes their outlook and the potential for the next medication to have some benefit. So I would just say, you know, getting involved and realizing you don't have to have you know, BCPP or any other psych specialty designation after your name to be able to be part of the solution in treating our patients. Robin, do you have anything you want to add to that? Thank you. Uh, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with both Sanaz and Rick. I think that there are these beliefs and maybe they're even, you know, rooted in a little bit of a fear about taking care of somebody with a mental illness. Uh, but I, I totally agree that the belief that it can only be done by, you know, a mental health specialist for treatment of a depression or anxiety disorder, even something we haven't mentioned yet, but like a alcohol use disorder. Those are things that we really want to make sure those in primary care or even some specialty cares are comfortable treating because, because we all can be capable you know, if we, if we make that effort to, to learn some of these things and, you know, we can become capable. So I think that that's definitely a belief that I think people, uh, people tend to have, and people tend to like to refer when they could start treatment immediately, or even just, you know, keep that, keeping that person engaged can be important too. Like you, you may have, uh, you know, be their primary care provider and already have an established relationship with the patient. And if, and if they have this need to be treated with a mental illness to say, well, okay, now you're going to have to go meet this other person and get to know, you know, let them get to know you and figure out what you need when really you could handle it all, you know, under one roof. And I think that's, that's important, important message for us to try and get across that it can be done and, you know, maybe should be done as sort of that like whole health approach. Well, thank you all. Robin, I'm going to come right back to you with um, a different question on challenges because a lot of people find it challenging to keep up to date with all of the information that's out there. So how do you continue to learn and keep up to date on the changes within mental health support? That is a great question. Thank you. Uh, and, and it can be challenging for sure, because I think there, there's days, you know, I feel like I go on a vacation and I come back and, you know, things have changed. But I do think that there's definitely always something new to learn. And I think being open to that and, you know, carving out time so that you, you can learn about something every week or keep up to date on literature frequently is very helpful. I think that, you know, doing sort of short modules bit by bit can be helpful as far as like continuing education. I think those are, are great to like involve yourself in and, and learn, learning from others is always helpful to me too, because I know um, within the VA, there's been a lot more focus on suicide prevention lately, as well as substance use disorders. And so 
kind of turning your attention to those and delving into it, uh, I think is important uh, for all of us so that we can we can keep up with those changes. But I think that uh, there's certainly a lot of programs out there uh, that we can learn from. Uh, what do you think, Sanaz? I agree. I think there are a lot of resources out there. Um, even if you just do a Google search to just see some of the possible things that are available. Like you said, I think there's a lot of, there is a big push to help with suicide prevention considering that it is something we seem to be seeing more of lately. And, and I think if you want to seek it out, the information is there and it can be such a broad area. There are ways to hone it in definitely. And so I know one of the things that we've come up with, which um, has kind of helped spur this podcast is ASHP's mental health support certificate, which does provide some key education on different areas where pharmacists can be of help and how they can do that. But again, there are so many resources out there and things are always evolving. Rick? Thank you. Uh, I would, I have a few things that I use, uh, which may or may not be helpful. Uh, Obviously belonging to professional organizations, including ASHP and others. But even if, you know, you don't want to go that route, there are uh, free subscription services. So for example, Medscape has a number, you can pick any specialty area that you want, but they do have one for psychiatry that I subscribe to. And it's a couple times a week, I will get an update from Medscape and, hey, here are some new articles related to psychiatry and mental health. Now, I'll be honest, a number of those articles, when I scan the list, are of no real interest to, to me. But every now and then, that might be how I learn about a new medication, uh, mental health medication that's in the pipeline being developed. And they're presenting some early preliminary results or some new technique or whatever it might be. So it might be, you know, an email that you open once or twice a week and you see something you're like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll read about that. And maybe you just open it and say, yeah, nothing here. And you discard it. So that's one option, uh, the, the mental health support certificate from ASHP. There's also mental health first aid, which is another training program, which is geared not towards mental health providers specifically, but anyone in the lay public that wants to, again, be prepared to provide exactly what it says, mental health first aid, much like medical first aid. You come across someone having a mental health crisis, how can you be involved? A lot of that is in the mental health support certificate, but again, a different avenue if it's something you really are interested in. So there are a lot of different resources out there uh, if someone is really interested. It's just finding what works for you. Some people like getting those once or twice a week subscriptions as a quick little reminder. There are certainly CE programs out there uh, if it's something that interests you as well. It's finding what fits your particular learning style and just running with that. So hopefully you can find something that helps you, but there are certainly lots of resources out there. Christine, uh, I'll turn it back to you for our next question. Well, thank you very much, Rick. And I I love that phrase that you just used um, for mental health first aid because pharmacists with as high touch as we have with patients, I think that's an immediate response I have to the mental health support certificate and what pharmacists can offer once they take it. So I I love that phrase. Thank you. So for our last question, Rick, I will go ahead and start with you. Um, What's the best piece of advice you could give someone who is interested in starting a mental health support program for their patients? 
I would say first and foremost is figure out what the needs are when you, you know, at within your own practice setting. Um, if you know that within your practice setting, you have a large percentage of patients who have depression or anxiety, if you're working in a setting where schizophrenia or bipolar, learn who is walking into your clinical setting. And again, whatever setting that might be, community pharmacy, hospital pharmacy, clinical, ambulatory care, specialty pharmacy, whatever it is, get to know the patients that you're working with and what their needs are, as well as any cl other clinicians, healthcare professionals that you're working with and what their needs are. A lot of times as pharmacists, we have an idea of what we want to do, but sometimes it's a matter of finding things that are needed, which might not exactly line up with what we want, but we fill a need and that need gets our foot in the door to then do the other bigger, cooler stuff that we want to do. So if you know that your patients or your colleagues that you're working with have a particular need, especially in the area of mental health treatment, then do what you can to fill that particular need. And my second piece of advice is be persistent. It's not gonna just land on your doorstep and automatically run. I've started programs of my own within different clinical settings I've been in over the years. Some of them went off really well. Some of them didn't really go off at all. So be persistent, but always start with that sort of needs assessment. Because the last thing you wanna do is to provide a service that no one needs and then you're disappointed, why isn't it being used? So start with that need, figure out what it is and then branch out from there um, once you get it up and running and show who you are and what you can do. I'm gonna turn it over to Sanaz to get her thoughts on this. Yeah, I think that's such a good point that you bring up is to identify the needs because like you said, if if a need isn't there, then really what, what are you doing? But I think once you are able to figure out what the needs of that population are, then really reaching out to others who may already have a program in place since they can provide you guidance, including successes that they've achieved and how they've been able to get certain things done versus some of the challenges that have come up along the way and how maybe they've had to pivot around it. And I really do think it's also key to engage with leadership and stakeholders at your institution to develop an implementation plan to help enhance care. And recognizing that this is something that is, um, while one person can make a difference, it definitely helps to have additional support behind you to identify that this is something that is important to provide the patients. Robin? Those are both really great pieces of advice, and I totally agree with that. Uh, I also feel like if you are interested in starting a mental health support program, in addition to what Rick and Tana said, you might want to, uh, if you don't feel like you already you know, have a level of expertise to do so, you might want to check out something like ASHP's mental health support certificate so that you can you know, feel like you have some background and have heard from you know, other people and the ways that they've made things successful in, in their programs. And I agree, you know, talking to stakeholders, learning what the needs are uh, in some of those specific clinics that they, where you see patients in uh, or whatever, you know, role you have, I would say, you know, figuring out what maybe is the most common and say you discover that, gosh, a lot of, uh, of these patients seem to be depressed. Well, maybe, you know, starting something 
like simply like, okay, you know what, we're going to start doing PHQ-9s, you know, or something simple and then build from there. Uh, so, you know, start, start simple, grow from there. And then I think that you can demonstrate success along the way and, you know, prove that this program that you've developed is, has had, um, has improved the care of your patients. Thank you, Christine. Thank you all very much. That is unfortunately all the time we have today. So I do want to thank Dr. Sanaz Farhadian, Robin Heber, and Rick Sylvia for joining us today to discuss patient mental health support programs. If you haven't already, I encourage you to check out ASHP's Mental Health Support Certificate. This self-guided online program is designed to increase the knowledge and skills a pharmacist needs to develop a comprehensive mental health program for patients that includes suicide prevention strategies. The professional certificate can be completed 100% online and offers up to 20.5 continuing education credit hours. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Hot Topics in Pharmacy, and we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe to the ASHP podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.